Looking at the future of security in cyberspace often requires one to look at the past. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group, and to do just that, I'm pleased once again to be joined by Jason Healy, Director of Cyber Statecraft at the Atlantic Council Think Tank. Welcome. Thank you very much, Eric. Last year, you authored the book, a fierce domain, conflict in cyberspace, 1986 to 2012. Here at Black Hat, you're looking at the future in a presentation titled Saving Cyberspace. Okay, what does the past tell us about the future? One of my favorite quotes when we did the book is going to be one that's very familiar to all your listeners. Few, if any, contemporary security controls can stop a dedicated red team. Now, we all know that. We're going to hear it all the time here at Black Hat. But to me, what really got me about that quote is it's from 1979. So what that quote tells us is that for 35 years, the bad guys have had the advantage in cyberspace over the good guys. Now, how many systems, can you imagine, can stay in equilibrium year after year, decade after decade, with one side having a persistent advantage before you hit a tipping point? where the attackers don't just have the advantage, they have supremacy. Right now, we bemoan the fact of how bad cybersecurity is, and it's a Wild West out there. But there are things worse than Wild West. There's Somalia, right? Because what's Somalia? It's a place that is so bad that every time it tries to get its act together, there are people that come in and try and tear it down. So my talk here at Black Hat and also at DEF CON is to look at this and say, what is it that we can do to reverse this so that the defenders have the commanding heights, so that we have the advantage and not the bad guys? Okay, let's go into that. What do you do? <laughs> I think you have to work at scale to start with. So you're not going to get that. We're not going to get there by ever more complex, adding in more secure system, I mean, more technologies that are going to monitor this and take care of that. You've got to do things that are going to scale so that you can do once and you can get the advantage of a million times. Can you provide an example or two? Well, sure. I mean, I think that means you need to be doing a lot more at ISPs. For example, if our ISPs were as clean as, for example, Scandinavian ISPs, we would have a much less significant cyber problem overall. Um, I also think that we need to be working um, a private sector-centric approach. So it is not a partnership between government and the private sector. Um, it just isn't. The private sector, we learned from the history, have decisively resolved almost every single cyber conflict there's ever been. Government is at best the supporting, the supporting command, to use the military terminology. So I think we've got to put that private sector at the center of what we do if we're ever going to solve this. There are people who feel that the cyber sector isn't doing enough to do that. How do, how, how do you get the cyber sector to do that? Right. For example, one is to look at the different parts of the private sector. Um, for example, there are so many non-states that are out doing fantastic work. Um, for example, just look at, at what happened in Conficker. You know, Mark Bowen's book, Worm, talks how these non-states groups, these volunteer groups, these companies were at the center of the response, and the government was flitting around the edge. That tends to be how cyber problems get fixed. So we should take that and we should make it the center of our model. 
for example, we might look at grants for some of those groups that might need better technology or some full-time staff. We also might, through private sector-centric approach, Right now, we bemoan, oh, how can we get CISOs or system administrators to do what they want? A private sector-centric approach says, build around the way the market actually works. If I were advising the president, I would advise him, this is a little tongue-in-cheek, get Warren Buffett on board. If you can convince Warren Buffett to use the cybersecurity framework in all his companies, and he will only invest in companies that use the cybersecurity framework, you have now put X amount of effort that you would have been flying around and talked to boards, and now you'll be on the front page of every business newspaper for years. You mentioned the cybersecurity framework, which is a product of NIST, the National Institute mm-hmm. of Standards and Technology, which is a government organization. Uh, obviously, you see a role for government in this, but you see maybe the leadership becoming from business. Well, I guess uh, let's get into the point about the business. I'll get back into government in a second. When you talk about business, are you talking about businesses working together? And if so, are you talking about organizations like FISAC, or are you talking about some other kind of model, or is or businesses working on their own? Yeah, um, a little bit of each of them. I mean, we got to when we can, when we are presented with problems, look at how. Here's an analogy that I give. There are nine players on the field, Eric, and what we don't need is one general running around all over the field yelling, "I got it! I got it!" Fort Meade is going to be the solution to our problems. There are nine players on the field. What we need, and, and most of the players are the private sector. So what we need to be doing at every time we have a problem is saying, who is closest to the ball? Do they know how to make the play? Do they have the skills? Are they incentivized? Maybe they need a bigger glove. Maybe they need a better, maybe they need help seeing the ball. But instead of defaulting and saying, every time we get $10 million, Let's send it up to Fort Meade, or you know, let's hire a bunch of new GS-15s, 14s, 13s, 12s, 9s, 8s, 7s. Um, let's look at who's already doing the important things that we need. Okay. I'll give you another example, if I can. Before the Y2K bug, the California pension system, CalPERS, went to all of their companies that they invest in. Right now, they've got $250 billion invested. They went to all of their companies and said, tell us how you're doing on this. And just for people who don't know CalPERS, it's this, this the investment arm of the pension funds in California? Yes. So how come CalPERS hasn't done it for our field yet? So instead of having DHS executives White House trying to convince boards, I say let's convince the shareholders and let the shareholders go to the boards. That is how our capitalism works. So let's embrace that. A private sector-centric approach is going to say it's not the government's position to talk about risk. It's the board's responsibility on behalf of the shareholders. So let's try and be more full circle. Okay. And you were saying that instead of the government putting money into Fort Meade, which I guess you mean the National Security Agency, which is where they're based, you're saying some of that money should go into private initiatives to to provide the security. Is there too much money going to NSA? Is Are the problems that NSA have had creating some of the, this backlash? Or? Yeah, unfortunately, we have had, and, and they deny it, but we have had a militarized cyber policy in the United States for a decade. Um, And it wasn't intentional, and the people in the military vehemently deny it. But you've got one set of organizations, military and intelligence, that have tremendous budgets, incredibly competent people with a lot of competent people that want to work there, lawyers that will get to yes however they can, some oversight and some interagency process, but far less 
than the actual defenders. At places like DHS, they're struggling to get good people. They have lawyers whose default is to say no and to say it repeatedly. And they've got tiny budgets and a tremendous amount of bureaucratic friction to try and get anything done. And when one side can classify everything and kind of does, the differential of that over 10 years has meant that we no longer have, we have a gap between our cyber policy and our internet policy. The internet is the actual engine of the US economy. It is the engine of, frankly, of our civilization increasingly. And you know, in Washington DC, our conversation is about whether cyber is a domain of warfare or it's a global commons. We've gotten completely separated with this militarized policy that cyber is now something different than internet policy. And unfortunately, cyber is winning at the expense of internet policy. So where do you go from there? Should there be some kind of structure or formal structure in getting businesses to work together? You know, some people say that, that's a very uh, big challenge. We need an actual strategy and an actual goal. When you say we, who do you mean we? The United States. And more specifically, but not exclusively, the United States government. Because right now we have at least three different sets of internet-related policies. Commerce runs some on wideband and ICANN. We've got a military policy and what's going to be happening in military policy, and we've got State Department policy that's dealing with internet freedom. But if you have three sets of priorities, you can't play them against one another, and where they compete, it makes it difficult to say, here's the one that should be the real priority. So we've let the NSA priorities, the Fort Meade, the military priorities, the intelligence priorities, dominate. If you talk about national security and cyber in Washington, D.C., you don't mean the future prosperity of the American economy, upon which we are completely dependent on. You mean more computer network attack and exploitation to an increasing degree in town. But there's so many people that exploitation is having an impact on our, our commerce, our economy. Then, then let our, then we, um, the White House just came out with a new national security strategy. And what if I would have wanted that national security strategy to say, our top cyber priority is prosperity first and foremost. Let us and defense and prosperity and the future of the internet, that it's going to be a driver for your kids, for your grandkids and their kids. And that is our top priority. And where other priorities compete, this is going to be our default. But are, are, are they really competing? I, I guess, Absolutely. I guess, because oh, you understand what some people argue is that, that maybe this is a strong cyber defense that may be coming out of Fort Meade or or, or some kind of State Department approach where you're trying to get cooperation internationally will still have an impact on our economy. Uh, now, I'm a former United States military signals intelligence officer. I don't believe our government actually wants peace in cyberspace. We like the fact that it's a Wild West because it lets us do more attack and exploitation. Somebody we have, yes, the United States has, le has been lead turning almost every negative trend that we dislike in the internet right now. Espionage, spying, militarizing, using cyber capabilities. We have been lead turning all that effort. I mean, I wrote the history book. I mean, I was involved in this in the late 90s, including on the offense side. And we've gotten ourselves in a place where now that's the primary priority is, and of course, even if we don't mean it to be, the direction of the money is flowing. The direction of the power, the direction of the bureaucratic oomph. Dude, um, the U.S. Cyber Command is going to have over 6,000 trained cyber people. How many are we going to have at DHS? How many are we going to have at Commerce? How many are we going to have at State? At some point, you have to step back 
and say we made all of those decisions at Fort Meade for valid, patriotic, solid national security reasons. But at some point you have to step back and say, is this where we really want it to end up right now? Obviously, you don't. You're asking for business in, in many respects to take the lead, but you need to really have the champion coming from the government, it sounds like. And you need a strong statement from, I don't know, from President Obama or Congress. I'm not sure. I mean, they're, they're not being able to do anything on, on cybersecurity. Yeah, I and mean, for me, I would have one strategy instead of three strategies that you can bring all of these together and say, here's the number one priority where that's going to be, where we're going to have to make trade-offs, here's how we're going to do them. That's a real strategy. To me, that's what Petraeus had in counterinsurgency. General Petraeus said, population-centric coin. When it comes down to the end of the day, we're going to win hearts and minds. And what I like is you can negate that. You can say, no, don't win hearts and minds. You've got to stab the bad guy. Adversary-centric coin. That's a real strategy, like containment. That's a real strategy. You can encapsulate it in one word. And so what's our cyber strategy now? What's our internet strategy? You can't say it in any fewer words than it takes to express every single component concept. Besides funding, is there anything that the government is not doing or is doing that is inhibiting businesses from taking what should be their leadership role? So I think there's a number of things that the government can do. Again, like I said, go out, talk to the shareholders, especially institutional shareholders. Get them on board have a single strategy that says, here's how we're going to handle things. Um, look at targeted grants for where that's going to happen. What worries me at the end of the day is that we're going to hit a tipping point where the, as I mentioned earlier, where the offense doesn't just have the advantage, is defense. So at the end of the day, my vision always comes back to defense has to be better than offense. That is the only goal for people in our business, I think. We've got to dream that it's possible to get defense better than offense. Because if we don't, what are the odds? that things are going to be only, you know, merely as bad as they now five years, 10 years, 25 years. Let's think about what, is the internet really going to be there for our kids and grandkids? Or is something going to come up that is going to get messed up? And are we really on the right end of that? Well, what's your prediction? I don't see how. I mean, it's getting ever more complex. The offense has had the advantage for over 35 years. Everything that I've heard so far is black, at Black Hat is that that trend is only getting worse. For me, the Internet is the most transformative product of humans' brains in 600-plus years, you know, since Gutenberg. And in Washington, D.C., we talk about it as cyber and the cyber domain. And we're kind of missing the point. Imagine if... 20 years after Gutenberg invented the printing press, it turns out the Pope, the petty princes of Europe, pretty much anybody that cared to could know exactly what was being printed, exactly who was printing it, and exactly who they were passing it to. You don't get the Renaissance. You don't get the Enlightenment. So I'm afraid unless we get defense better than offense, what Renaissances and Enlightenments are we going to be missing out on? Are our kids going to be missing out on? That has, that future prosperity has to be the number one goal of our internet policy. And right now it's not. Thank you, Jason. Thank you very much, Eric. I've been speaking with Jason Healy. This is Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.